0: We are going to be in Romans chapter 8, as we uh, spend some time in God's Word today. Um, Romans chapter 8, verse 26, is where we have been, working our way through this book of Romans, and we're on the topic of our weakness and his security in it. And I think that's probably a very good topic anyway for our communion service, in that... uh, Usually, as you know, I've been doing it enough that this Communion Sunday I would work the sermon around the theme of the uh, Communion. And yet, when I talk about our weakness today, that's what it comes out as anyway. Uh, Because we are weak, he is strong, and uh, what he has done for us just magnifies all the more how secure we are in him. And I think this is a vital section to study. So in our verse before us today, verse number 26, Romans 8, in the same way the Spirit also helps our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Heavenly Father, help us today again, as we have this passage before us, help us to understand it, to come away, not just with an appreciation for what you have said here, but for the understanding of the statements made concerning us, concerning you, and how magnificent your love for us is. Help us to grasp more of that today as we focus in on your word today. Thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week we were diving into this verse for the first time. And in the context, we deal with the concept of weakness. And it's appropriate that we do so as we've been following Paul through here. He just went through the section that talks about our bodies. Our, our bodies and the fact that in these bodies, until we are ushered into the presence of the Lord, we're down here in these bodies and we groan, which we know. We've talked about that for several weeks. I'm not going to rehash all that for you, okay? Uh, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't come across as very flattering, does it, uh, to focus on what we really are. But I think it's good that we know what we really are and I think it's appropriate that this text follows it, the Spirit helps our weakness. Our weakness. We explored that a little bit last week, and just to remind you, just a touch, not to repeat the whole thing, but when we talk about our weakness, it's not just a random verse, you know, just carelessly tossed onto the page. Um, The context talks about weakness anyway, earlier, and what we have here is, Physical weakness, we know that. We also found it to be a spiritual weakness that we have as well. The context reveals that very clearly, especially in the avenue of prayer. The weakness we have to carry it through. We can read these things, can't we? But how well do we move into the application of doing these things that we read of each and every week? Application's hard, isn't it? Sometimes even carrying it through. It may, for some people, operate more like what you call a New Year's resolution. How long do those last? In my whole life, I did it once. Made it through the whole year on one thing I said I'd do. But other than that, most of us fall apart, don't we? Carrying it through. How do you you take the things we learn on a Sunday and apply it to a Monday? And a Tuesday? And a Wednesday. How do we carry it through? We have a weakness there. We have a weakness in in controlling the future too, don't we? How many of you are good at controlling the future? Nobody stood up and said you were. Well, that's true. It's just the reality that we have many weaknesses. We talked about in the last couple of weeks. Limitations, if you will. And sometimes when we see that word weakness, we go that route because we say, yeah, we're weak. We're not totally helpless. We're, We're weak. We say, well, we don't know the future, but we plan for it. We can't carry it through, but we try. And we set up all these possibilities that, well, we have limitations on strength, but we're not totally out of strength and we operate that way too often, when the word we found last week for weakness is not anywhere near that.
1: That word is
0: no strength. No strength. Not kind of, a little bit of strength, not, not a portion of strength, not a, uh, a small percentage of strength. No strength. And that's important to our context. No strength. It doesn't do anything, it doesn't work it doesn't move no strength and I think that's the power of the words right here in verse 26, when we understand our condition, then we understand more of what the Lord is doing no strength in that regard, physically we are constantly and continually dependent upon God for every breath, every aspect of our being, it's from Him everything when we talk about our spiritual life that we have we are constantly and continually dependent upon God for every aspect of our spiritual health and well-being everything when we talk about our Christian walk can you do it without Him? no you cannot the scripture says it very clearly we are constantly, continually dependent upon God for every step in the Christian walk I I keep impressing that upon you. And if I keep setting the word helpless in front of you, I also will set the word dependent in front of you too. Those two words go together. And I think the first part of verse 26 pretty much says helpless, and then the rest of it says dependent. And that's what we're going to be looking at, especially here. Because when it says that the Holy Spirit helps us with our weakness, the the key to that word, help, and we talked about it last week, it's not that he comes alongside and he just kind of carries one end and you carry the other end. It's more the idea that he does it instead of you, because that's actually in the Greek word, instead of. Instead of. And I think it's powerful just to see what he is operating, how he's operating here. Uh, I I want to underscore all that for you because this helps to know. When it says that the Spirit helps our weakness, there's a little verb tense called the present tense in the Greek tongue. And that means continually. That means right now. That means ongoing. It's got all kinds of aspects to it. But... What that means is that he is operating right now. Right now. Sometimes we say, well, is that constant? Yes, it's constant. It on goes even now. Even right now. Is that only for Sundays? No. It's constant. What about when, uh, when, when um, we're busy with other things? Is the Holy Spirit still at work in you? Yes, He is. He lives there. Do you know that? It's just an incredible chapter when you start putting the pieces together, because He doesn't come on and off again like your light switch, perhaps. He doesn't just operate in your, your desperate moments of need. Like, well, he's there if you call him up and suddenly he's there to help you and then he just kind of goes into sleep mode or something while you operate yourself. He doesn't do that. He's constantly at work in us, constantly doing what we cannot do. And that's a good thing because if we have no strength, you think we're going to muster somehow some strength in the next ten minutes to do it ourselves? Scripture goes on and on and on to say that we have no strength. But he does. And he's operating right now. You know what? There's two thoughts that come to my attention. And one of them just popped into my mind. And this is what I say. First of all, as I said last week, he is not waiting for you to say, help me, for him to operate. He is helping you now. All right? So, he, he he's, not the, he's not a genie. He's not somebody you just ask you know, when you want him. He's already operating right now. He's not in the audience. He is in you. And he's operating right now. That's one thing. Here's the second thing that just kind of popped into my mind, and I don't know what to do with it exactly, but this is what I hear when I think this through. How often we take credit for what he's been doing. We pat ourselves on the back. Boy, did I do good on that one. You know, great Sunday school lesson. That was, that was my cleverness, wasn't it? How, how often have we taken the credit for so many things? Our lives? Well, I, 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 I take good care of myself. That's why I'm in such great shape. That's why I, I feel healthy and all that. Have we not acknowledged it's the Lord's graciousness to us? That we are who we are today, what he's done for us today, the strength we have for this day, the wisdom we have for this day, the life we have for this day. Isn't it him? That's coming back to a point I'm making, and it has to do with dependence. Okay, now that just sets you up to tell you the truth for what we have to talk about in verse number 26. The Spirit does help our weakness. That's true. Our inability, our complete helplessness, He is doing that. For we do not know how to pray as we should. Let's stop with that phrase right there today. Do you feel uncomfortable suddenly? Guess what I'm going to talk about? We do not know how to pray as we should. How many of us would say, Amen to such a verse like that. Uh, we do not know how to pray as we sure. That's an intriguing little phrase. It sounds so interesting. So so easy. But perhaps as you've been reading your translation this morning, I'm reading out a New American Standard Version, and you say, well, Pastor, the words are not exactly the same. You said how to pray. And mine says, we don't know what to pray. You say, "Which which is it? Well, actually almost everybody who translates from the Greek comes up with a different kind of phrase for this. And I find that very interesting. So I'm going to give you a handful of them, okay? And I think you might find it interesting too. Uh, It is true, we do not know. That's the key to it. We do not know. That's the word oida, perfect knowledge. How many of us have that? Perfect knowledge. We don't. We don't have perfect knowledge on any topic that I know of, especially the issue of prayer. The perfect knowledge that we lack, we make up for with Bible conferences and many books and many subjects and, and many attempts to understand prayer. Why, we're in good company. Even the disciples once asked Jesus to teach them how to pray, right? And you know what his answer was. Of course he did. started with, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And we've gotten used to that. We understand that. But that was because the disciples asked him how to pray. Maybe you've read some of the books by E.M. Bounds. You ever hear of E.M. Bounds? He wrote a whole library on prayer. Here's some of the titles. He wrote one called Power Through Prayer, another Prayer and Praying Men, another Purpose in Prayer, The Essentials of Prayer, The necessity of prayer, the possibilities of prayer, the reality of prayer, the weapons of prayer. Intriguing, huh? Maybe you've pulled out Andrew Murray's book, With Christ in the School of Prayer. Wouldn't that be a fascinating study? R.A. Torrey wrote a book back in the late 1800s, early 1900s called How to Pray. I have that one on my shelf. I've started in on it. I've never gotten past chapter 1. I figured, if, I, if I'm going to learn the way he teaches how to pray, I've got to learn chapter 1 before I can move to chapter 2. Chapter 1 is on being sleepless in prayer. He talks about those who don't sleep. They spend their night in prayer. They go through the entire night in prayer. And I said, you know, I haven't learned that one yet. That's a hard thing to do, especially when you're laying horizontally and your head's on a pillow. That doesn't help. I know that much. But there's all kinds of topics on how to pray. And the New American Standard Version says, we do not know how to pray as we should. Is there a method of prayer? Is there some strategy or some... Or maybe some depth of passion that belongs with it, because Scripture says the effective, uh, uh, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Sometimes I wonder if our, our prayers are, are just, well, we lack the word fervent in there. Do you think maybe God just hears loud prayers? Some people pray like he's deaf. Some people say, "No, no, no, no uh he can he's moved when he hears us pray from our heart, and we talk about inward prayers and and how many times have we been in church where we say anyone have any silent prayers or unspoken prayers or things like that? Well, God knows what those are too, right? We talk about prayer in that regard sometimes we we talk about uh how to speak in prayer. The Corinthians had this idea that, well, God listens to prayers if you speak them in tongues. And Paul had to talk to them about that in the book. Some people say, well, no, not, not necessarily tongues, but you've got to have the right theological terms when you pray. You've got to use theological words because that's what attracts God's attention. You've got to use the big words, of course. Uh, uh, and you can't end it without that phrase, in Jesus' name. A prayer is just not a prayer unless you tack that on the end, right? Some people say, well, no, it's not about the words. It's about your position. Uh, some people say you have to stand to pray. I've heard of congregations say, everyone stand up. We're going to pray. Uh, some people say, no, no, it's sitting. And others say, no, it's kneeling. you got to kneel to pray. And then there's the other that says, oh, face down. That's the way God sees you. And that's the way he's, he notices uh what about your eyes? Should they be closed or opened? Well, if you're driving, I have a recommendation. Leave them open. Some people say you got to have hands in the prayer. Up or down or out or these kind of things. Uh, there was once a man that Jesus talked about who beat his chest as he prayed. So we have variety in that, too. And you say, well, okay, um, what about when do I pray? You're saying, how to pray? We don't know how to pray. Do, do we pray in the morning? Do we pray at noon? Do we pray in the evening? Do we pray before the meal? I tease the kids, and I would tell them on occasion, if they start to eat before we pray for it, it will poison them. And if you open your eyes, you'll go blind. So... There's my influence. Isn't that great? Um, But do we pray? What what happens if you don't pray for your meal, if that's the case? Do you pray three times a day? Do you pray in the morning? Do you pray at night? How do you know when to pray? What day of the week do you pray? Well, Sunday sounds like the good day for it.
1: Monday is a day that desperately
0: needs it. You go through the list of, of when do you pray. Matter of fact, while you're at it, who prays? When you're in a group, you're at home. Say, is it Dad's job? Is it Mom's job to to say the prayer? Do you take turns around the table like we do at our house? Do you do you take a, an opportunity in a prayer meeting to pray? Who's allowed to pray in a prayer meeting? By the way, is it just? Only the men who can pray? Or if the women are going to pray, do we have to put them off in a corner by themselves so they can pray by themselves? How do we do that? And and if we're in a church service, who's the one who has a position to pray there? Is it just the elders? I'm asking a lot of questions, aren't I? Let's ask. this. why we're at it. If in the Old Testament, the prayer often coming out of the tabernacle temple... Was accompanied with a burnt offering. It was a soothing aroma before the Lord, and, and it's referenced many times in the Old Testament. I mean, to burn incense of some kind. Frankincense is the right one, by the way, if you find it. Uh, what, do you, what do you do? Do you burn incense while you pray? Or, most of the time, I would have to say, our prayers are mixed with the mingled smell of coffee, aren't they? Maybe the Lord loves coffee. What about a quiet time? A quiet time. Is there a right room to pray in? Maybe you don't just use your closet. Maybe it's a a room you specially designed. It's beautiful. Maybe it's a gazebo out in the backyard or something like that. What, what, What makes your prayer more effective? How do you pray? How do you pray?
1: Is God more
0: inclined to hear you in a quiet room than a room full of children? Anthony, what do you think? I asked a lot of questions, I know. I know I did. Some of them are somewhat silly. But this is a question. We do not know how to pray, as we should. New American Standard Version reads that way. I do know we could all use a good refresher course on prayer. I know we can pray better, can't we? We, we can commit ourselves to longer prayer. We can commit ourselves to more frequent prayer. We can commit ourselves to more fervent prayer. We can commit ourselves to more intelligent prayer. We can talk about praying regularly. We, we have to admit something. That is a weakness, isn't it? That is a weakness. And we can say, okay, is that what Paul's writing about? Is that what the Holy Spirit is doing on our behalf? Is because we don't know how to pray? That he says, okay, well, I'll pray for them. Well, we're going to get into that more, because those are very good thoughts. I want to go to another version of how it's read. This is from the Amplified Version. I love reading the Amplified Version, especially when you got spare time. It's longer than most versions because the verses have a lot of information in each one. It says this. So too the Holy Spirit comes to our aid and bears us up in our weakness for we do not know what prayer to offer nor how to offer it worthily as we ought. Ooh, there's a word that caught my attention. Did it catch yours? Worthily, what's that? He said in this translation, one, we do not know what to prayer to offer. Are there design prayers for design situations? What does it mean we don't know what prayer to offer? And even if we did know what the answer was to that, how do we know we've offered it worthily? When we talk about worship, do we not want to worship in a proper way? In a worthy way of God? When we talk about ministry, do we not want to do our ministry in a manner that's worthy to God? When we when we talk about what is unworthy. You know, the Corinthians were told at one point, when they came to a communion service of all things, that Paul had to warn them, "...whoever eats of the bread and drinks of the cup is the Lord in an unworthy manner." shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Now, does that sound serious to you? It was. And they were doing that. They were abusing the communion service. So I ask you this. Must prayer be serious? If it's to be worthy, do we have to have a a serious nature to it? You know of it in the old Puritan style years and years ago on Sunday afternoons. The kids sat on little wooden benches in the, in the parlor of the house and nobody was allowed to move. No one's allowed to talk. No one's allowed to play. They all sat there. All the stories we heard of in the past of people who, who said, this is a serious way to spend your day in prayer. And they would make it so serious you couldn't move. Now contrast that to that with uh, my biology class. When I was in college, uh, it was great going to a Bible college because you could pray before exams as a class. And there in biology class, uh professor called on a, one of the ladies there in the classroom. One of the students said, would you pray for us? Uh, we're about to take this exam. And she asked the Lord to help us regurgitate what we learned on the test. You know what? I don't know if that was worthy or not, but it was unforgettable. <laughs> How could you forget that? That was just an interesting way of saying something. Worthy. Worthy is not in the text. The Amplified Version added that. To pray in a worthy manner. Now, I'm not saying toss it out. But when we talk about our approach to prayer and what we seek to accomplish in prayer and who we're going to talk to... We are talking to the Almighty God. And how many of us are worthy to do that? If it wasn't for Jesus Christ and His blood, we wouldn't have access to the Father anyway. But He did make the way for us, didn't He? He did. So we talk about being worthy, being unworthy. We talk about the prayers of of what is worthy and how it is, and how. We make it so technical. So let's move on to a third translation. And if you're reading from the King James Version, you have this in front of you. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. We know not what to pray for. The first one says we didn't know how to pray. The second one says, well, uh, we don't know which prayer to pray and we don't know if we prayed in a worthy manner and now this one says we don't even know what to pray for now i've been there before haven't you you don't know what to pray for you 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 have an absence of words and many times that's because you don't know what to do you have you don't have the wisdom for the answer you you don't know what's the next step been there haven't you Center there and say, hey, I just, Lord, I don't know how to pray about this. How many times have you actually said that? Lord, I don't even know the words to say about this. I don't even know. How many times have you said, Lord, I don't know your will. I don't even know if I'm asking right. I, I, I don't understand the problem. I, I don't know what I should do. I don't know where I should go. I don't know how to say it. Maybe you've even started this way. Lord, I know my heart's not right. My heart's not right. I don't even know how to bring this before you. Once I heard a speaker at Moody when I was there who who opened my eyes to a whole new part of prayer I never knew and understood. He says, why don't you just be honest in prayer? The Lord already knows. That blew me away because I never considered prayer to actually be a dialogue with a God who knew me. I wasn't brought up thinking that way. Maybe it was a glitch on my part.
1: But I thought it was a formal
0: thing, the right things to say, certain words you got to say. That way everyone's impressed and you come away saying, hey, that was great. Never realized I was talking to God. Never realized he already knew. But that's what Jesus says. He already knows what you need before you ask it. So he says, why don't you just be honest with God? Just tell him. Lord, I'm in a very bad mood right now. Does He have the ability to handle that? Yes. Oh, so many things that we limit our prayers on because we say, I just don't know what to say. I don't know how to say it. How do you pray according to His thoughts? How do you know it's not your thoughts? How do you pray for His will? Well, Isaiah found out very early that God said, You know, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. For as high as the heaven is above the earth, so are my way higher than yours and my thoughts than yours. So it's kinda hard to enter into prayer saying this is what the Lord's will is and I'm going to tell him. Being more receptive to what God's will is. How do you do that? What have I set up for you this morning? Confusion, frustration, you don't know what you're doing now. You don't even know if you want to pray now. You're scared to death. You know what? There's your weakness. There's our weakness. Because prayer, prayer is very revealing. We do not know what we should pray for as we ought. William Tyndale said it this way in his translation, back in the fifteen hundreds. We do for we know not what to desire as we ought. What thing we should be praying for? What is necessary? We do not know. We do not know. And then add to it just the simple fact what prayer is. The actual act of prayer. Now, it's something we should be doing, right? That's what's interesting in the text and almost convicting to me, is the fact that we do not know what we should be praying. And I said, Well, should be. (laughs) That makes it sound like I'm not. Gives room for that. And it's probably very true. There's a difference between the fact that we are praying and we should be praying, right? Here's the reality. Prayer is not only something that requires our attention, but it really often gets our neglect. It gets our neglect. Richard Newton wrote these words. The principal cause of my leanness and unfruitfulness is owing to an unaccountable backwardness to pray. I can write or read or converse or hear with a ready heart, but prayer is more spiritual and inward than any of these And the more spiritual any duty is, the more my carnal heart is apt to flinch from it. Let me say this. Prayer is spiritual business. You cannot do
1: spiritual
0: by means of the flesh. I think we've learned that well over the last two years. We're not capable of it. The flesh does not have the strength to do it. The flesh does not have the words to do it. It does not have the wisdom to do it. It doesn't have the will to do spiritual things. And prayer is a spiritual thing. The flesh cannot do it. And how often do we use the flesh for prayer? We approach it in the wrong way, don't we? Simply put, when it comes to prayer, first, Thoughts ought to be this. We are helpless in this activity. I confess my helplessness. I don't shy away from saying so. Totally helpless in spiritual strength and in spiritual wisdom. Totally helpless on my own, in my desire, in my will, totally helpless. In my ability to change any situation, to resolve any situation, to know it thoroughly, to pray intelligently, totally helpless. Boy, what a pastor you've got. But I confess that. Because on my own, I can't. I can't. And that's our context. But prayer sounds so easy. Prayer is spiritual. It takes the Spirit to help with prayer. See? This is important for us to understand. Prayer is really a magnifier, a magnificent magnifier of our inabilities. Prayer is a confession, folks. I am totally dependent on God. If I didn't think so, I wouldn't go to Him and ask for things. If I could do it on my own, why would I need Him? But this is what prayer is. I'm going to break it down for you make it real simple. These four things happen every time you pray. Number one, you have a need. You have a need. And number two, you cannot meet that need. You cannot meet the need, or else you would not be praying. Number three... You go to someone who can meet that need. And number four, you ask that someone who can meet your need to meet your need. That's very elementary. But you're acknowledging your dependence upon another every time you pray. You're acknowledging you can't, he can. That's what you say when you pray. There is great value in knowing you do not know. That's not to slam us. The Lord doesn't put these words in here to make us feel small and insignificant. He goes, you're helpless without my help. You can't do it without my help. He wants us to depend upon Him. The value of knowing that you can't do it comes to the fact that He can do it. The value of knowing, you do not know, means you go to him who does know. You see, it's a driving thing for us when we go into prayer. We go to the one who can do it. And that's my theology. If you want it in three words, he is able. He is able. Now to him who is able. I love those words in Jude. Often you find that word. When it talks about ability, it gives it to God. That's where it belongs. He is able. That's who you go to in prayer. Because you know you're not. This is important for us to make that point. And if if I'm stressing anything, it's this. We are absolutely dependent upon God in every area of our life. Our past, yes. Our present, absolutely. Our future, oh yes. We've been studying that too. We are the recipients of His grace and His power and His wisdom and His love. And if He weren't constantly working in our lives like this text tells us so, we would be in terrible shape. Even right now, at this moment, He's at work. Even right now. You see, we can turn prayer into a seminary course. We we can do all we want with it. But it's only the Holy Spirit who can make something out of our helplessness. It's only Him who can make the difference. And that's what He's doing. Now, I haven't even told you all that He's doing yet. We're going into that the rest of the verses. But I wanted to set before you the dependence factor today. The dependence factor is important that we understand that. Because when we are unable, He is able. And that's the strength of the passage. We're going to deal with that more. But there's probably nothing more pronounced than what we're going to talk about right now. This communion service, it represents what? The death of our Savior, right? The reason for His death was because of our sin. And what could we have done with our sin? Nothing. Nothing. Matter of fact, Scripture says we were dead in our trespasses and sins. And if it wasn't for Him, we would have no hope. That's why I love those verses. That even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We're going to remember that in our communion service. We were helpless. We were hopeless. We were dead and unable to do a thing about it. And he changed everything. I love that dependence on him. Because upon him I stake my entire eternity. He died for me. He died for you. We're going to take this communion service together. If you're a guest with us, you're certainly welcome to join us. Do you know Jesus Christ is your Savior? That's what this is a reminder of. That he has given his life for us. And we're just thankful people remembering again that he's done this for us. And if you've accepted Christ as your Savior, please participate with us. Uh, Take the bread and take the cup. They represent his body. They represent his blood that he gave for us that we might have life. And we rejoice in that. And we'd love you to join us too if you know him as your Savior. If not, would you just let it pass by you but think about the fact that he does love you. He gave his life for you. And even even as you're sitting here right now, you could receive Christ as your Savior, can't you? Even while you're sitting here, he can save you. Call upon the name of the Lord and you'll be saved. Scripture makes it sound so easy, doesn't it? But nevertheless, as we go into our communion service at this time, to remember what Christ has done, let's not forget how dependent we are on it.